Section 7 of Modeste Mignon by Henri de Balzac. Translated by Catherine Prescott Wormley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 7 of Modeste Mignon by Henri de Balzac. Recorded by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter 7 A Poet of the Angelic School All young girls, romantic or otherwise, can imagine the impatience in which Modeste lived for the next few days. The air was full of tongues of fire. The trees were like plumage. She was not conscious of a body. She hovered in space. The earth melted away under her feet. Full of admiration for the post-office, she followed her little sheet of paper on its way. She was happy, as we all are happy at twenty years of age, in the first exercise of our will. She was possessed, as in the Middle Ages. She made pictures in her mind of the poet's abode, of his study. She saw him unsealing her letter, and then followed myriads of suppositions. After sketching the poetry, we cannot do less than give the profile of the poet. Canalis is a short, spare man, with an air of good breeding, a dark-complexioned, moon-shaped face, and a rather mean head like that of a man who is more vanity than pride. He loves luxury, rank, and splendor. Money is of more importance to him than to most men. Proud of his birth, even more than of his talent, he destroys the value of his ancestors by making too much of them in the present day. After all, the Canalis are not Navarains, nor cadignans nor grandeleus nature however helps him out in his pretensions he has those eyes of eastern effulgence which we demand in a poet a delicate charm of manner and a vibrant voice yet a taint of natural charlatanism destroys the effect of nearly all these advantages he is a born comedian if he puts forward his well-shaped foot it is because the attitude has become a habit if he uses exclamatory terms, they are part of himself. If he poses with high dramatic action, he has made that deportment his second nature. Such defects as these are not incompatible with a general benevolence and a certain quality of errant and purely ideal chivalry, which distinguishes the paladin from the knight. Canalis has not devotion enough for a Don Quixote, but he has too much elevation of thought not to put himself on the nobler side of questions and things. His poetry, which takes the town by storm on all profitable occasions, really injures the man as a poet, for he is not without mind, but his talent prevents him from developing it. He is overweighted by his reputation, and is always aiming to make himself appear greater than he has the credit of being. Thus, as often happens, the man is entirely out of keeping with the products of his thought, the author of these naive, caressing, tender little lyrics, these calm idols, pure and cold as the surface of a lake, these verses so essentially feminine, is an ambitious little creature in a tightly buttoned frock coat, with the air of a diplomat seeking political influence, smelling of the musk of aristocracy, full of pretension, thirsting for money, already spoiled by success in two directions, and wearing the double wreath of myrtle and laurel. A government situation worth eight thousand francs, three thousand francs annuity from the literary fund, two thousand from the academy, three thousand more than the paternal estate, less than the taxes and the cost of keeping it in order, 
a total fixed income of fifteen thousand francs plus the ten thousand brought in one year with another by his poetry and all twenty-five thousand francs this for modeste's hero was so precarious and insufficient an income that he usually spent five or six thousand francs more every year but the king's privy purse and the secret funds of the foreign office had hitherto supplied the deficit he wrote a hymn for the king's coronation which earned him a whole silver service having refused a sum of money on the ground that a canalis owed his duty to his sovereign but about this time canalis had as the journalists say exhausted his budget he felt himself unable to invent any new form of poetry his lyre did not have seven strings it had one and having played on that one string so long the public allowed him no other alternative but to hang himself with it or to hold his tongue de marsay who did not like canalis made a remark whose poisoned shaft touched the poet to the quick of his vanity canalis he said always reminds me of that brave man whom frederick the great called up and commended after a battle because his trumpet had never ceased tooting its one little tune canalis's ambition was to enter political life and he made capital of a journey he had taken to madrid as secretary of the embassy of the duc de chaleu though it was really made according to parisian gossip in the capacity of attache to the duchess how many times a sarcasm or a single speech has decided the whole course of a man's life collat the late president of the salspine republic and the best lawyer in piedmont was told by a friend when he was forty years of age that he knew nothing of botany he was piqued became a second jesu cultivated flowers and compiled and published the flora of piedmont in latin a labor of ten years i'll master de marsay some of these days thought the crushed poet after all canning and chateaubriand are both in politics canalis would gladly have brought forth some great political poem but he was afraid of the french press whose criticisms are savage upon any writer who takes four alexandrines to express one idea of all the poets of our day only three hugo theophile gautier and de vigny have been able to win the double glory of poet and prose writer like racine and voltaire moliere and rabelais a rare distinction in the literature of france which ought to give a man a right to the crowning title of poet so then the bard of the faubourg saint germain was doing a wise thing in trying to house his little chariot under the protecting roof of the present government when he became president of the court of claims at the foreign office he stood in need of a secretary a friend who could take his place in various ways cook up his interests with publishers see to his glory in the newspapers help him if need be in politics in short a cat's paw and satellite in paris many men of celebrity in art science and literature had one or more train bearers captains of the guard chamberlains as it were who lived in the sunshine of their presence aides-de-camp entrusted with delicate missions allowing themselves to be compromised if necessary workers round the pedestal of the idol not exactly his servants nor yet his equals bold in his defence first in the breach covering all retreats busy with his business and devoted to him just so long as their illusions last or until the moment when they have got all they wanted some of these satellites perceive the ingratitude of their great man others feel that they are simply made tools of many weary of the life very few remain contented with that sweet equality of feeling and sentiment which is the only reward that should be looked for in an intimacy with a superior man a reward that contented ali when mohammed raised him to himself 
many of these men misled by vanity think themselves quite as capable as their patron pure devotion such as modeste conceived it without money and without price and more especially without hope is rare nevertheless there are menevals to be found more perhaps in paris than elsewhere men who value a life in the background with its peaceful toil these are the wandering benedictines of our social world which offers them no other monastery these brave meek hearts live by their actions and in their hidden lives the poetry that poets utter they are poets themselves in soul in tenderness in their lonely vigils and meditations as truly poets as others of the name on paper who fatten in the fields of literature at so much averse like lord byron like all who live alas by ink the hippocrene water of to-day for want of a better attracted by the fame of Canales, also by the prospect of political interest and advised thereto by madame despard who acted in the matter for the duchess de chaleu a young lawyer of the court of claims became secretary and confidential friend of the poet who welcomed and petted him very much as a broker caresses his first dabbler in the funds the beginning of this companionship bore a very fair resemblance to friendship the young man had already held the same relation to a, a minister who went out of office in eighteen twenty seven taking care before he did so to appoint his young secretary to a place in the foreign office ernest de la briere then about twenty-seven years of age was decorated with the legion of honour but was without other means than his salary he was accustomed to the management of business and had learned a good deal of life during his four years in a minister's cabinet kindly amiable and over-modest with a heart full of pure and sound feelings he was averse to putting himself in the foreground he loved his country and wished to serve her but notoriety abashed him to him the place of secretary to a napoleon was far more desirable than that of the minister himself as soon as he became the friend and secretary of canalis he did a great amount of labor for him by the end of eighteen months he had learned to understand the barrenness of a nature that was poetic through literary expression only the truth of the old proverb the cowl doesn't make the monk is eminently shown in literature it is extremely rare to find among literary men a nature and a talent that are in perfect accord the faculties are not the man himself this disconnection whose phenomena are amazing proceeds from an unexplored possibly an unexplorable mystery the brain and its products of all kinds for an art the hand of man is a continuation of his brain are a world apart which flourishes beneath the cranium in absolute independence of sentiments feelings and all that is called virtue the virtue of citizens fathers and private life this however true is not absolutely so nothing is absolutely true of man it is certain that a debauched man will dissipate his talent that a drunkard will waste it in libations while on the other hand no man can give himself talent by wholesome living nevertheless it is all but proved that virgil the painter of love never loved a dido and that rousseau the model citizen had enough pride to have furnished forth an aristocracy on the other hand raphael and michelangelo do represent the glorious conjunction of genius with the lines of character talent in men is therefore in all moral points very much what beauty is in women simply a promise let us therefore doubly admire the man in whom both heart and character equal the perfection of his genius when ernest discovered within his poet an ambitious egoist the worst species of egoist 
or there are some amiable forms of the vice. He felt a delicacy in leaving him. Honest natures cannot easily break the ties that bind them, especially if they have tied them voluntarily. The secretary was therefore still living in domestic relations with the poet when Modeste's letter arrived. In such relations, be it said, is involved a perpetual sacrifice of his feelings. La Briere admitted the frankness with which Canalise had laid himself bare before him. Moreover, the defects of the man, who will always be considered a great poet during his lifetime, and flattered as Marc Montel was flattered, were only the wrong side of his brilliant qualities. Without his vanity and his magniloquence, it is possible that he might never have acquired the sonorous elocution which is so useful and even necessary an instrument in political life. His cold-bloodedness touched at certain points on rectitude and loyalty. His ostentation had a lining of generosity. Results, we must remember, are to the profit of society. Motives concern God. But after the arrival of Modeste's letter, Ernest deceived himself no longer as to Canalise. The pair had just finished breakfast and were talking together in the poet's study, which was on the ground floor of a house standing back in a courtyard, and looked into a garden. There, exclaimed Canalise, I was telling Madame de Chaloux the other day that I ought to bring out another poem. I knew admiration was running short, for I have had no anonymous letters for a long time. Is it from an unknown woman? Unknown? Yes. A de Este and Havre, evidently a feigned name. Canalise passed the letter to La Briere. The little poem, with all its hidden enthusiasms, in short, poor Modeste's heart, was disdainfully handed over with the gesture of a spoiled dandy. It is a fine thing, said the lawyer, to have the power to attract such feelings, to force a poor woman to step out of the habits which nature, education, and the world dictate to her, to break through conventions. What privileges genius wins! A letter such as this, written by a young girl, a genuine young girl without hidden meanings, and with real enthusiasm. Well, what, said Canales, why a man might suffer as much as Tasso, and yet feel recompensed, cried La Briere. Oh, he might, my dear fellow, by a first letter of that kind, and even a second. But what about the thirtieth? And suppose you find out that these young enthusiasts are little jades or imagine a poet rushing along the brilliant path in search of her and finding at the end of it an old englishwoman sitting on a milestone and offering you her hand or suppose this post-office angel should really be a rather ugly girl in quest of a husband ah my boy the effervescence then goes down i begin to perceive said la Briere, smiling that there is something poisonous in glory as there is in certain dazzling flowers and then resumed canalise all these women even when they are simple-minded have ideals and you can't satisfy them they never say to themselves that a poet is a vain man as i am accused of being they can't conceive what it is for an author to be at the mercy of a feverish excitement which makes him disagreeable and capricious they want him always grand noble it never occurs to them that a genius is a disease or that nathan lives with florine that d'arthez is too fat and Joseph Bredow is too thin, the Beranger limps, that their own particular deity might have the snuffles. A Lucien de Repembre, poet and Cupid, is a phoenix, and why should I go in search of compliments only to pull the string of a shower-bath of horrid looks from some disillusioned female? Then the true poet, said Labriès, ought to remain hidden, like God, in the centre of his worlds, and be only seen in his own creations. 
Glory would cost too dear in that case, answered Canales. There is some good in life. As for that letter, he added, taking a cup of tea, I assure you that when a noble and beautiful woman loves a poet, she does not hide in the corner boxes like a duchess in love with an actor. She feels that her beauty, her fortune, her name are protection enough, and she dares to say openly, like an epic poem, I am the nymph Calypso, enamoured of Telemachus. Mystery and feigned names are the resources of little minds. For my part, I no longer answer masks. I should love a woman who came to seek me, cried Labrie. To all you say, I reply, my dear Canalise, that it cannot be an ordinary girl who aspires to a distinguished man. Such a girl has too little trust, too much vanity. She is too faint-hearted. Only a star, a... Uh, princess cried canales bursting into a shout of laughter only a princess can descend to him my dear fellow that doesn't happen once in a hundred years such love is like that flower that blossoms every century princesses let me tell you if they are young rich and beautiful have something else to think of they are surrounded like rare plants by a hedge of fools well-bred idiots as hollow as elder bushes my dream, alas, the crystal of my dream, garlanded from hence to the Corese with roses. Ah, I cannot speak of it. It is in fragments at my feet, and has been long so. No, no, all anonymous letters are begging letters. And what sort of begging? Write yourself to that young woman, if you suppose her young and pretty, and you'll find out. There is nothing like experience. As for me, I can't reasonably be expected to love every woman. Apollo, at any rate, he of Belvedere, as a delicate consumptive who must take care of his health. But when a woman writes to you in this way, her excuse must certainly be in her consciousness that she is able to eclipse in tenderness and beauty every other woman, said Ernest, and I should think you might feel some curiosity. Ah, said Canalise, permit me, my juvenile friend, to abide by the beautiful Duchess who is all my joy. You are right, you are right, cried Ernest. However, the young secretary read and reread Modeste's letter, striving to guess the mind of its hidden writer. There is not the least fine writing here, he said. She does not even talk of your genius. She speaks to your heart. In your place, I should feel tempted by this fragrance of modesty, this proposed agreement. Then sign it, cried Canalis, laughing. Answer the letter and go to the end of the adventure yourself. You shall tell me the results three months hence, if the affair lasts so long. Four days later, Modeste received the following letter, written on extremely fine paper, protected by two envelopes and sealed with the arms of Canalis. Mademoiselle, the admiration for fine works, allowing that my books are such, implies something so lofty and sincere as to protect you from all light jesting, and to justify before the sternest judge the step you have taken in writing to me. But first I must thank you for the pleasure of which such proofs of sympathy afford, even though we may not merit them. For the maker of verses and the true poet are equally certain of the intrinsic worth of their writings. So readily does self-esteem lend itself to praise. The best proof of friendship that I can give to an unknown lady in exchange for a faith which allays the sting of criticism is to share with her the harvest of my own experience even at the risk of dispelling her most vivid illusions. Mademoiselle, the noblest adornment of a young girl is the flower of a pure and saintly and irreproachable life. Are you alone in the world? If you are, there is no need to say more. 
but if you have a family a father or a mother think of all the sorrow that might come to them from such a letter as yours addressed to a poet of whom you know nothing personally all writers are not angels they have many defects some are frivolous heedless foppish ambitious dissipated and believe me no matter how imposing innocence may be how chivalrous a poet is you will meet with many a degenerate troubadour in paris ready to cultivate your affection only to betray it by such a man your letter would be interpreted otherwise than it is by me he would see a thought that is not in it which you in your innocence have not suspected there are as many natures as there are writers i am deeply flattered that you have judged me capable of understanding you but had you perchance fallen upon a hypocrite a scoffer one whose books might be melancholy but whose life is a perpetual carnival you would have found as the result of your generous imprudence an evil-minded man the frequenter of green rooms perhaps a hero of some gay resort in the bower of clematis where you dream of poets can you smell the odour of the cigar which drives all poetry from the manuscript but let us look still further how could the dreamy solitary life you lead doubtless by the seashore interest a poet whose mission it is to imagine all and to paint all what reality can equal imagination the young girls of the poets are so ideal that no living daughter of eve can compete with them and now tell me what will you gain you a young girl brought up to be the virtuous mother of a family if you learn to comprehend the terrible agitations of a poet's life in this dreadful capital which may be defined by one sentence the hell in which men love if the desire to brighten the monotonous existence of a young girl thirsting for knowledge has led you to take your pen in hand and write to me has not the step itself the appearance of degradation what meaning am i to give to your letter are you one of a rejected caste and do you seek a friend far away from you or are you afflicted with personal ugliness yet feeling within you a noble soul which can give and receive confidence alas alas the conclusion to be drawn is grievous you have said too much or too little you have gone too far or not far enough either let us drop this correspondence or if you continue it tell me more than in the letter you have now written me but mademoiselle if you are young if you are beautiful if you have a home a family if in your heart you have the precious ointment the spikenard to pour out as did magdalene on the feet of jesus let yourself be won by a man worthy of you become what every pure young girl should be a good woman the virtuous mother of a family a poet is the saddest conquest that a girl can make he is full of vanity full of angles that will sharply wound a woman's proper pride and kill a tenderness which has no experience of life the wife of a poet should love him long before she marries him she must train herself to the charity of angels to their forbearance to all the virtues of motherhood such qualities mademoiselle are but germs in a young girl hear the whole truth do i not owe it to you in return for your intoxicating flattery if it is a glorious thing to marry a great renown remember also that you must soon discover a superior man to be in all that makes a man like other men he therefore poorly realizes the hopes that attach to him as a phoenix he becomes like a woman whose beauty is overpraised and of whom we say i thought her far more lovely she has not warranted the portrait painted by the fairy to whom i owe your letter the fairy whose name is imagination believe me the qualities of the mind live and thrive only in a sphere invisible not in daily life the wife of a poet bears the burden 
she sees the jewels manufactured but she never wears them if the glory of the position fascinates you hear me now when i tell you that its pleasures are soon at an end you will suffer when you find so many asperities in a nature which from a distance you thought equable and such coldness at the shining summit moreover as women never set their feet within the world of real difficulties they cease to appreciate what they once admired as soon as they think they see the inner mechanism of it i close with a last thought in which there is no disguised entreaty it is the counsel of a friend the exchange of souls can take place only between persons who are resolved to hide nothing from each other would you show yourself for such as you are to an unknown man i dare not follow out the consequences of that idea deign to accept mademoiselle the homage which we owe to all women even those who are disguised and masked so this was the letter she had worn between her flesh and her corset above her palpitating heart throughout one whole day for this she had postponed the reading until the midnight hour when the household slept waiting for the solemn silence with the eager anxiety of an imagination of fire for this she had blessed the poet by anticipation reading a thousand letters ere she opened one fancying all things except this drop of cold water falling upon the vaporous forms of her illusion and dissolving them as prussic acid dissolves life what could she do but hide herself in her bed blow out her candle bury her face in the sheets and weep all this happened during the first days of july but modeste presently got up walked across the room and opened the window she wanted air the fragrance of the flowers came to her with the peculiar freshness of the odors of the night the sea lighted by the moon sparkled like a mirror a nightingale was singing in a tree ah there is the poet thought modeste whose anger subsided at once bitter reflections chased each other through her mind she was cut to the quick she wished to reread the letter and lit a candle she studied the sentences so carefully studied when written and ended by hearing the wheezing voice of the outer world he is right and i am wrong she said to herself but who could ever believe that under the starry mantle of a poet i should find nothing but one of moliere's old men when a woman or young girl is taken in the act flagrante delicto she conceives a deadly hatred to the witness the author or the object of her fault and so the true the single-minded the untamed and untamable modeste conceived within her soul an unquenchable desire to get the better of that righteous spirit to drive him into some fatal inconsistency and so return him blow for blow this girl this child as we may call her so pure whose head alone had been misguided partly by her reading partly by her sister's sorrows and more perhaps by the dangerous meditations of her solitary life was suddenly caught by a ray of sunshine flickering across her face she had been standing for three hours on the shores of the vast sea of doubt nights like these are never forgotten modeste walked straight to her little chinese table a gift from her father and wrote a letter dictated by the infernal spirit of vengeance which palpitates in the hearts of young girls end of section seven read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com